Welcome to another installment of the Eye Test for Two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm joined by Ira Kaufman and our producer, Ian Glendon. And Ira and I both are Hall of Fame voters. And Ira, I think this is our seventh show already. I mean, wow, this is going fast, huh? That's a lucky number. You know, Clark, you start with the Rolling Stones, Clark. Yeah. And if we were members, if we were members of the Stones in 69, I would be Keith Richards. Who, who, who would you be, Mr. Judge? Who would you be? I, I would probably be Brian Jones, which means I'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be found at the bottom of a swimming pool. Uh, found Mr. at the Judge. bottom of a swimming pool. Yeah, probably swimming with Keith Moon in his uh, car that he'd driven in there. I was not a Stones guy. I was a Who guy. But before a Who guy, I love the Beatles. To me, the Beatles are a completely different level. But I used to go see the Who. In fact, I saw them in... 1969, a couple months after they came off of Woodstock and they're playing a nightclub and they tore the place apart. And before they went on, they said, don't rush the stage because it happened last night. You know, don't do it. And it was an inn. It was in Boston. It was a place called the Boston Tea Party, which is on Lansdowne Street, right outside of um, Fenway Park. It's gone on, under uh, different names since then. But man, was it a great place to see concerts. After that, they said, here's the lineup for the following week. We're going to have the Jefferson Airplane. Jethro Tull, we're going to bring in Joe Cocker. It's like, whoa. And I went and saw Neil Young there in February, the, the following year with Crazy Horse. He played till three in the morning. And Clark, can't you just see our producer, Ian Glendon, saying, who? What? what? Who are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I thought this was the eye test for two. I, 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 I was going to say, I actually have seen the Who in concert. So I, I, I'm, the, I'm with you there, Clark. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not nice. completely out of it, although... 1969. Well, you, that was you didn't see them with me. Keith Moon, though. No, I no, bet no. you didn't see them with Keith Moon. No, no, yeah, this completely was different band. 2013, maybe. 2014. Yeah, yeah, they were a completely different band. I, I've seen them five or six times, and every time's been terrific. But um, that was wild because you know, well, then, just, just as I said, they were coming off of Woodstock, and they were kind of a cult band. Within the following year, and Ira, you'd remember this because the film Woodstock came out in the spring of '70. And it launched numbers of bands like Santana, Joe Cocker. And it sort of brought The Who into mainstream America. And that summer, I went to see The Who in um, Columbia, Maryland. It was at the Meriwether Post Pavilion. 15,000 people. That's what it holds. We had tickets. A riot show uh, broke out because um, 25,000 people showed up. So Wow. Hey, we, you had know, uh, cool. we had our tickets. Cool. We're going down, walking <laughs> on people in the aisle. And we go, well, those are our seats. And these two girls are going, so what? We got them. And my friend said, we're sitting there. You're sitting on our laps. And that's what happened. <laughs> you know, Clark, uh, some members of our uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame band are starting to uh, starting to leave our ranks. And uh, I believe Mr. Paul Horning is the latest one, Mr. He Judge. Is. He, he is. And I'm glad you mentioned that because we're getting back to football now. We're getting to uh, icons. We were talking about music icons, but. Paul Hornan was one of them with football, obviously a Hall of Famer, Green Bay Packers. And he's the fourth, our the fourth Packers Hall of Famer to pass away in the past year. We had Willie Davis, Willie Wood, Herb Adderley. But the Hornan one struck me deeply because we had him on the Talk of Fame Network uh, radio show three years ago. And he was great. He was really good. And um, I, I just remember him so well because I was a Colts fan growing up. And the Packers were the hurdle that the uh, Colts had to get over. And I remember one game in particular, Ira, maybe you do as well, 65. He'd been benched actually in favor of um, uh, Jeter, I think was that. I know Elijah Pitts, I'm sorry, Elijah Pitts. Um, Jeter was on the defensive side, but Elijah Pitts, because Hornan wasn't doing much, he had three touchdowns. For whatever reason they played in that game, it was in the fog. 
and they were, I think, a half game behind Baltimore or whatever. And it was in the fog of Memorial Stadium. Unitas got hurt. They bring in Quazo. Uh, Quazo got hurt. They brought in Maddie off the bench, and then Quazo came back. But anyway, final score is 42-27 Packers. Horn scored five touchdowns in that game. Wow. Uh, you know, Clark, I got a little uh, Paul Horning nugget for you okay. uh, and Ian and our listeners. And here it is. Super Bowl one, when the Packers dismantled my Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Clark, every Packer on the roster played in that game, Super Bowl one, except Paul Horning. He had a pinched nerve in his neck, but he dressed. He was ready to go, and Lombardi went up to him in the fourth quarter and said, Paul, do you want to play just so you can say you were in the Super Bowl? And Horning said, thank you. I decline. I decline, Clark. He didn't play. Um, Newsflash here, Ira. I didn't realize they were your Kansas City Chiefs. I'll pass that along to Bruce Arians when I talk to him next, okay? (laughs) Well, wait a minute. I go back to the day when Len... Len Dawson was smoking a cigarette during halftime of Super Bowl I. Oh, I remember that as well. Anyway, <laughs> we're talking about Hall of Famers, Len Dawson, Paul Hornan, Willie Wood, Willie Davis. That's because we're Hall of Fame voters. Um, and soon, interestingly enough, on this show, we're going to be joined by a special guest. And Ira, let's see if this rings a bell. Listen carefully. Shotgun. Murray, out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Six seconds. Murray heaves it downfield. It is. Oh, it's caught. It is caught. DeAndre Hopkins. Miraculous. No, it's, it's not Kyler Murray who joined us, Ira. No, it's not. It's not DeAndre Hopkins either. But is a Hall of Fame voter, somebody you and I know well. And that's and somebody Balls. who somebody who was at that game, Clark. Yeah, and he that's Howard that game. Yeah, he covers the cards. He was at that game. He covers the cards for SI.com. And he witnessed that Hale Murray. I love that. Hale Murray. That was I wonder if uh, Howard came up with that. <laughs> anyway, he witnessed it along with millions of others, including me, in the uh, comfort of my TV den. But um, before we get there, I want to go as usual a- around the uh, NFL and the around the NFL today, not so much uh, 40 or 50 years ago as we were talking about Paul Hornan. But uh, let's take a quick spin, Ira. And to me, there seems to be a lot of quarterbacks that people are talking about this past week and they're in the news. So let's start with the obvious. Let's start with Kyler Murray. I guess my question to you is now, after what we just saw, is he an MVP candidate? I think he's on the fringe, Clark. I think he's on the fringes of the conversation. Uh, as great a catch as that was, you got to give Murray all kinds of credit, Clark, for being able to drift to his left, which is very difficult for a right-handed quarterback, and getting enough air under that ball to at least give Hopkins a chance. Yeah, um, and that's what that's what Kyler Murray can do, Clark. You think you got him bottled up, and you don't. And Buffalo's defense, Clark, especially pass defense, it's not bad. They got no, some good defensive backs on that team. Yeah, they had three guys on him there, but I will say there were three guys on him, and um, I, I think he's in the conversation. But I, I, I wouldn't put him in the top three, Clark. Not the top. Oh, wow. Three. Okay. Um, but you're right. They, I mean, they had uh, triple coverage there, but they were covering some underneath routes, which Tony Dungy, friend of the show, had pointed out on NBC that bothered him or puzzled him. Why are you covering the underneath routes? They don't matter, and um, and they they paid the price. Question for you: He's one of the fastest guys I've ever seen. 
who wins a 40 between him and Usain Bolt? Well, to me, Clark, the fastest guy in the NFL is Tyreek Hill. I, 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 and I think it's hands down. Um, yeah. Clark, he, he's the fastest guy I've seen since Deion Sanders. And, and I'm not sure he's faster than, uh, he's not faster than Sanders. Uh, but Murray's up there. There's no, no question about it. But Tyreek Hill, and I want to throw this in too, Clark. He's not just a speedster. He's not. You know, you got these guys like John Brown. Yeah. They run fly patterns, you know, 18 times a game. Tyreek Hill's really worked on his craft, and uh, and it showed uh, with the biggest play in last year's Super Bowl. That was yeah, a beautiful absolutely. route that he ran. Yeah, beautiful. I don't, I don't question that at all. Um, next up, and let's try to fly through these. Hour. I'm going to talk about Drew Brees. Um, he has broken ribs and a punctured lung. And I would guess your buddy, Jameis Winston, although he doesn't play for the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm sorry, Ira, but Jameis Winston uh, <laughs> could replace him. And they may, may do uh, Hill and Winston, Taysom Hill and Winston alternate. I don't know what's going on, but what can you tell us about Jameis Winston and what we're likely to find with the Saints? Because keep in mind, last year when Breeze bowed out, Teddy Bridgewater replaced him. What were they? Five and zero. Five and oh. Uh, first of all, Sean Payton's doing a fantastic job. He should be in the coach of the year conversation considering Michael Thomas has done nothing, zero for the 2020 Saints. He was the offensive player of the year last year. Uh, Number two, uh, Drew Brees, if he was 23 years old, I would be careful trying to rush him back. He's 41, Clark. So I think this is a one-month injury. If they're lucky, don't rush him back. You You got Winston. You've got Hill. Clark, I think the question in New Orleans is, How's Jameis Winston going to like it when he's in a nice rhythm on a drive and all of a sudden Taysom Hill comes in and Jameis Winston goes to the sideline? He's That's never experienced that at Florida State or the Bucks, and we shall see. I'm not sure his ego can handle that, but if Bridgewater can go 5-0, and I think Winston can go 4-1. and Yeah, just so long as he doesn't throw 30 interceptions again. Um, okay, in San Francisco – Kyle Shanahan said he, quote, unquote, expects Jimmy Garoppolo to be the 49ers quarterback next year. Now, I'm always curious about statements like this, Ari, when someone says he expects. I dissect those sentences and say, okay, the key word there is expects, because you can say a year from now if there's another quarterback there. Well, yeah, I expected that. They didn't say he will be. I expected it. Yet, I think he will be for this reason. They win with him. They don't win without him. I mean, he's 24 and 8 overall as a starter, but he's 22 and 8 with San Francisco. Last four years without Jimmy Garoppolo, team was 5 and 22 without him. So that's what I like about him. I don't think they have other options unless they make a trade. What do you think? Clark, I'm kind of with you on this. Look, this is a lost season for John Lynch and the 49ers. It's a lost season. Too many injuries, too much covid uh, you know, too many bad breaks. It, you know, they're going to go 5-11, and 11 and, and, and they got to take it. But I'm with you going forward. Um, I'm not blaming this season on Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, I, I think that'd be silly. Yep. Now, he missed, he missed a pass in the Super Bowl that might have won him the game. That's one pass. He didn't play a terrible Super Bowl. I'm with you. I think he's, I think he's under center game one, 2021. Yeah, the only question I have about him are his durability. That's the only question I have about him. But can you win games? Yeah. And like Herman Edwards say, says, says you, you play the games to win. You play the games yeah. to win. He wins. Okay, let's move on to Chicago. Man, what an awful, awful offense. They're making a difference. Who's calling the plays? They can't 
find the end zone with a dividing rod. So I see that Allen Robinson's agent's calling for the Bears to now throw him the damn ball. Get him the damn ball in the red zone. But Eric doesn't make any difference. They really haven't had a quarterback since Jim McMahon. I mean, of substance, they really haven't. You know, I feel bad for Khalil Mack. He's, you know, Roquan Smith. Those, those are the guys I feel bad for. They still, they still got a good defense, Clark. It's not as good as the one from about two years, three years ago, which right. was elite, but it's still good. And they can win games with this defense if they get a little bit of offense. And I think there's going to be a house cleaning. I think the GM and the coach uh, package deal, I, I think they pack their bags. Yeah, keep in mind that GM's the one who traded up to take Mitch Trubisky with a second pick. He was inactive last week, Mitch Trubisky. Um, last one, Tom Brady. Not anything to do with Tom Brady. He had another really good game, surprising, right, after uh, a blowout. That's his nature. He doesn't have back-to-back stink. But it's about his housemate. And I'm not talking about Giselle. Talk about Antonio Brown. What the heck is going on there, Ira? You, you live in Tampa, and Ian is in St. Petersburg. You guys locking up your bikes? Well, this latest uh, incident with Brown Clark, I think the important thing is it happened only a month ago. I mean, one month ago, while he's on probation. This is not something the Miami Herald is digging up from uh, 2017. So I think the league would like the Bucks to take care of it. Uh, I think uh, maybe uh, Arians would like the NFL to take care of it because uh, I'm not sure Arians still wants uh, this guy on his team, but Brady does. And you spoke about Giselle. Can you imagine the conversation? between Giselle and Brady when Giselle saw this go across the AP wire. <laughs> what are we doing with this guy in our house, Tom? You got to tell me. Oh, man, I'm telling you. Hey, Tom, where but the I, I think he, I think, <laughs> I, I think Brady immediately uh, got rid of all the bikes. Uh, there's no guard station outside Davis Island, so you don't have to worry about that. But, you know, he's been productive, Clark. I don't think he's going anywhere. Okay, all right. Well, let's move on here, as we should. Uh, last week, the uh, NFL announced the Super Bowl halftime show, and apparently the weekend has been announced as the headliner. Now, Ira, I'll be honest with you, I know about the Who, I know about the Rolling Stones. I don't know about the weekend, other than it uh, appears in Connecticut here every 52 weeks. So <laughs> what is 52 times a year here? We have the weekend, but what's the deal with this guy? I don't know much about him. And uh, tell me, in Super Bowl halftime shows, What's the best ever one that you remember? Well, I'm going to yield to Ian Glendon on the weekend. You know, he's going to educate us, uh, Clark, if he can. But as far as uh, halftime shows, I think the recent standard uh, is Lady Gaga. Oh. Uh, in, in Houston, in Houston, Clark, she starts off with a little God bless America. This land is your land. She's hitting all the notes. Then she jumps off a platform. She's suspended in midair and she starts singing her hits. 14 minutes, she never stopped moving. And for whatever reason, once she stopped moving, the Atlanta Falcons stopped moving <laughs> because <laughs> they had a 28-3 lead. So I'm going with Lady Gaga, who is proving, Clark, that she's got a lot of talent. Um, and that wasn't apparent those first few years because she was doing all this outlandish stuff. Yeah. Which yeah. People, people usually do that when they don't have a lot of talent. She's got the talent to back it up. Yeah, I knew really nothing about her because I really hadn't heard anything 
uh, we see on the radio or CDs or anything like that, uh, podcasts, whatever, by her. But I was really impressed by the performance. And up until that time, I put Prince at the top of my list. And that was in the reign of Miami. I think it was the 2006 Super Bowl. thought that was terrific. Uh, and then I throw McCartney in there only because it was McCartney. I mean, I talk about these legends. I mean, you just see Paul McCartney on stage. I don't care what he's singing, you know. Um, that was great. I, Ian, I'll ask you quickly, since um, you, you're at home and you're watching the telecast, in the stadium, we don't hear a lot in that press box. Sometimes they mute it. What's the best Super Bowl halftime show you remember? Uh, I, I got to agree with you when it comes to Prince. That was my favorite. I do. I did go back and watch the Lady Gaga one because that was obviously during a time where I was doing a lot of self-reflecting. Uh, you know, as a Patriots fan, that halftime was not the most uh, <laughs> you know the fun time for me. So I was sitting outside, kind of looking off into the distance. So I had to watch <laughs> that one afterwards. Um, I'll throw, not because I like the, I'm not a huge U2 fan. I'm really not. But given the context of the performance following 9-11 in 2001, I thought the presentation, the, uh, selection and how they portrayed all the names and everything was, was very wonderfully done. So I think in that way, that was also a memorable one for me, but personal favorite has to be Prince. Okay. Um, well, we're uh, now, now. Wait a minute! Wait a minute, uh, Clark. We're, we're waiting for Ian to educate us about the weekend. Oh, yeah. I was hoping you. I was hoping you forget because I don't know what the hell that is. I haven't known <laughs> what a weekend is since college. Hey, if the weekend's so special, how come it comes around fifty-two yeah. times a year? <laughs> I'm wondering. <laughs> hey, okay, let's move on to something that's really on my mind, and that's the the MVP. We talked about our midseason awards last week, right? And and we went over the MVP, but that's not my question here. My question has to do with what's going on in terms of favorites, not favorites. Suddenly Patrick Mahomes now is the favorite. Russell Wilson is not. And that's because uh, a lot of people look at the last two weeks, Patrick Mahomes, nine touchdown passes last two weeks, Russell Wilson, seven turnovers. And now Patrick Mahomes is the leader in the clubhouse. And, and I understand that, but I think it goes to a deeper issue for me, which is this, is the MVP truly the most valuable player or is it really the most outstanding player? And I think at least in recent years, and I look at this also with the MVP and other sports, it's become the most outstanding player. Because I think if you actually look at most valuable, Wilson still has to be in that conversation in high because he's playing without a defense. He's got different running backs each week and he's forced to make plays that other quarterbacks aren't simply because he's got to outscore a defense which leaks like crazy. Um, and, and to me, that, that defense is so unreliable. Um, and Pete Carroll said that it's got more holes than, well, like Sonny Corleone, I guess, in The Godfather. But it's got so <laughs> many holes that I, I think he has to make plays and do a lot of things. And all of a sudden, you see that, that, that momentum shrinking. So Ira, I'll ask you, you, I mean, you vote on it. I think I do. Um, what's your interpretation of MVP? Is it most outstanding player or actually is the most valuable player? I don't think it's the most outstanding player because we vote for the most important one, which is the Associated Press. Yeah. And they have designations for Offensive Player of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year. Here's the difference, Clark. To me, whatever the sport is, MVP is linked in some ways to team performance. And... For you to be an MVP off a 5-11 and 11 team, that's going to happen like Haley's Comet. You, yeah, you're just not going to see it. Right. Now, Andre Dawson, one year, Clark, in baseball, the Cubs stunk, but he hit 49 homers and it was unbelievable. He got the MVP award. 
That's very, very rare that a, a player off a bad team can win the MVP. Clark, seven years in a row, it's been the most valuable quarterback. That's right. 12 times, Clark, in the last 13 years, most valuable quarterback. The only guy that broke that was Adrian Peterson. I got five guys. Here they are. Wilson, Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers. Nothing great about Green Bay's defense. Right. Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara. I, I, wow. I think you got to consider them. I well, think you got to consider them. I'll throw two others in there. Ben Roethlisberger and Josh Allen. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger's on an unbeaten team. Now, they've got a good defense, but Josh Allen, same sort of thing here. Th that defense is not what it was a year ago. They've had numbers of injuries, and they leak at times, too. And, of course, you saw what happened last week, the last play of the game. But he doesn't have a running game, and he's forced to do a lot. And like Kyler Murray, he's running, he's throwing, he's doing everything. Ian, you're on the outside the box here. I mean, you're not voting on this, but um, who do you got? Uh, well, I mean, I... It's tough because we were advocating for Wilson last week, and I do think his stock took a hit. And I keep going back to if, if you're going to talk pure value, I, I look at a team that was a year ago looking towards the draft and now one of the best teams in the NFC with one big material change, and that was switching out the quarterbacks from a young yep. number one overall pick to an old 43-year-old guy who at, at the very least is also putting up comparable numbers to some of those other players. So... I think he's in the top three. I think it's changing each and every week. I think it might really come down to, and this goes towards that team success uh, uh, narrative, it might come down to Chiefs first bucks. If both teams mm -hmm. keep winning and Brady beats one or, or Mahomes beats him, all of a sudden you know, you're looking at one of those two teams marching towards 13 wins, maybe 14 wins. So I, I, I got to put Brady in that mix, but I, I mean, that's the, that's the thing. This race, it, it, it seems very wide open right now, and it changes right, you, game to game. All right, you can take Ian out of New England. Can't take <laughs> New England out of Ian. Still loyal to Tom Brady. Hey, the, Vi oh. no, Clark, the, the Vikings are making a little move. They're making a little move, and, um, and Dalvin Cook's a big part of it. He they is. Are. He is. Um, I mean, Derek Henry, if, if Tennessee were to get going again, I would think that would be a guy. I'm surprised there's not more momentum for Josh Allen. But, Ian, I will ask you this. If you had to pick a running back or somebody else, forget it, just a quarterback, wide receiver, defensive lineman, whatever, would you pick Cook? Would you pick Henry? Would you pick somebody from the defensive side? Who would be your choice? Um, if, if it continues, if Minnesota continues to win games and, and pull themselves out of this hole, with the loss of uh, Stefan Diggs, with subpar play from uh, Kirk Cousins at times, yeah. you got to give it to Dalvin Cook because he's been really the driving force of this, and, and everything kind of flows through him, which is rare because should running backs get more love? Absolutely, but it's it's hard to see how big of an impact the quarterback has, which naturally leads them to win those MVPs more often. Last question for you, Ira. It, it just seems to me, and this is going to be a whole different conversation for another time, but it seems like it's become also a numbers-driven award. If you have more touchdown passes, you must be better than the other guy who doesn't. Um, and because Mahomes, um, you know, has got 25 touchdown passes, one interception, he must be the best quarterback out there. I think he's a, I think he's a terrific quarterback, terrific quarterback. But that's not what I'm talking about in the context of this award most valuable he's got a galaxy of stars around him he's got a defense that can be pretty good at times i mean tyron matthew really changed that secondary some but again i go some of these others don't have quite that list of uh, supporting characters 
and yet they're successful too. They're, they're not on top of the league, maybe, although Roethlisberger is, but he's got a defense. It's a, it's a top flight defense and they sack the quarterback and everything. But I think numbers has really skewed this. Now we kind of look at who's got the most of what, and here it's, he's got more touchdowns, fewer interceptions. He must be better than Aaron Rodgers, who hasn't, doesn't have many interceptions, but uh, is playing out of his mind with a team that doesn't have very good defense. You know, Clark, I want to say this about Josh Allen because I think you're on a good track there. What I got to give him credit for, and a lot of credit, is he's a young player, and they had a little bit of a lull a month ago. And it looked like they were going the wrong way. Their offense wasn't very good, and he has snapped out of it. And they should have beat Arizona. That's not Josh Allen's fault. Uh, They put up a lot of points uh, against Arizona on the road. Um, he's, He's turned it around, Allen. He's playing at a great level again. Yeah, he, and he showed me something with that last drive against the Cardinals. Uh, and that, that that was somewhat similar to what he did against the Rams in Buffalo, driving the length of the field at the end. Now, in that game, he had a little bit of help, maybe a lot from the officials. This game, not so much. And honestly, you said that game should have ended right there with a Stefan Diggs touchdown pass. We're going to go to our next guest, who is Howard Balzer of SI.com, to tell us a little bit about those Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray. So let's stop here and go to commercial. You're listening to the iTest for Two on FullPressRadio.com. Welcome back to the second half of the eye test for two. I'm Clark Judge, along with Ira Kaufman. And as I've explained before, we're both Hall of Fame voters. And now we're happy to be joined by another selector, and that would be Howard Balzer, who covers the Arizona Cardinals for SI.com, who hosts his own Hall of Fame radio show on Sirius, I think, and who's been on the Hall's Board of Selectors for 17 years. Now, Howard was there in Arizona, in Glendale, for last weekend's Hale Murray. And Howard, I'll ask you straight up. You were in St. Louis. You covered the greatest show on turf. Where does that play rank among your favorite moments covering a team? And I'm not talking about on TV. I'm talking about being in the house, seeing it happen. Where does that rank? It's got to be right up there. And certainly being in at the Super Bowl when the Rams beat the Titans, for the touchdown pass from Kurt Warner to Isaac Bruce. Certainly when that play ends up winning a Super Bowl, that one obviously, it's hard to take that one off the top. But this one, just the improbability of it, uh, the, everyone in the press box, we're all getting ready to do another postmortem on how the Cardinals had a game in control. They screwed things up in the fourth quarter. They had two opportunities and couldn't gain hardly any yard. Then Buffalo drives down the field for a looks like a winning touchdown. And we're all, I don't know, I'm thinking, okay, here's what I got to look. And then boom, this play happens. I don't believe I've ever been at a game in person for a successful Hail, Hail Mary. Uh, well, Hail Mary, now it's being called Hail Murray. I've never been in person for one of those. And the, the crazy part about it is that those of us in the press box were all the way at the other end of the field uh-huh. because, because the press box is in the corner of the end zone, but it was the opposite end zone. So we basically had no view of it except to see a bunch of guys jumping <laughs> up and didn't know what had happened until DeAndre Hopkins runs away from the group with the ball and the officials go and touchdown. It was, it, it, was pr- it was pretty amazing. I'm glad you mentioned that because, as you know, and, and Ira Kaufman knows, when you go into a press box, they always say, no cheering in the press box, right? And I thought if you were in the press box, they probably had to say, hey, Howard, sit down. We got two seconds left, all right? 
<laughs> no, but there, there wasn't cheering. And it's funny, my wife asked me about that afterwards because I still have to explain that there's no cheering in the press box and all that. I said, but everybody in the press box, and I was saying, well, you know, especially the writer from AP, which Ira would understand, he's sitting there going, uh-oh, I've got to rewrite my story now. That's right. Because <laughs> he basically has it ready to go to hit the button when the clock goes out. And now everything right. changes. And that's what everyone is thinking because you're thinking of what you're going to write. Those who have to write quickly, you right. want to get it done. And all of a sudden, everything changes in a flash. One more question, uh, Howard, on that play. If you had to vote on the MVP award today, and I think you do. I think you vote on the MVP. Yes. But we've just been talking about that in the first half of the show. Where would you put Kyler Murray today? Where would he rank? If we had to vote today, where would he be on your list? He, he would be, certainly be in the top group of consideration. And a big part of it is because the Cardinals are tied for first place. Technically, they're in first place with tiebreakers, but we know how those can change. But it was interesting, Clark, because earlier in the season, when DeAndre Hopkins tweeted something about how he should be the MVP. And I'm saying, oh, let's tap the brakes on this, mainly because I did a study. And you, you guys will be interested in this. I went back the last two decades, which is all the years in this century. And in the 20 years of MVP voting, the average wins for the team that the MVP was on was close to 13. Wow. 12.75. That's the average wins. And so obviously, if you're going to be the MVP, it's important to be on a winning team. And so I said back then, we don't know what the Cardinals are going to do as a team. Well, now they're six and three. If they win 11, 12 games, then he's definitely and win the division. He definitely has to get serious consideration. By the way, there's only two players in history. Well, not in history in the last 20 years, their team only won 10 games. And they were the MVP. And they were both the non-quarterbacks that won. Marshall Falk, when he had 26 touchdowns in 2000 for the Rams. And then Adrian Peterson for that sixth season when he came back from a torn ACL and rushed for over 2,000 yards. But most of the time, it's a quarterback. And most of the time, obviously, it's on a team that wins a lot of games. But the Cardinals are on track now to win a bunch. And so we'll see how these last seven weeks go. Hey, Howard, thanks for doing this for us. Uh, Howard, I'm going to ask you about the guy that was on the receiving end of the Hale Murray, and it's not a coincidence who caught that ball, Howard. You've no. watched him all season. He's a guy that hasn't been in the postseason spotlight. I think arguably he's the best in the business at what he does. And, Howard, you tell me. I don't think it's a stretch to say – He's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. He's certainly not in yet with a bust in Canton. But, Howard, he's a great, great player. No question about it. And the, guy, the, the one thing about it, and it's funny because I wrote a story uh, yesterday with the debate that's been going on in Arizona. What was more impressive, Hopkins' catch or Murray's escape and pass running to his left? And by the end of the story, I said, I, I think it's a dead heat because basically we've come to expect the escape and in crazy throws from Kyler Murray. We've also come to expect unbelievable catches from DeAndre Hopkins because he basically never drops the ball. So it wasn't only that he got his hands on the ball, but then he I, I think he might have claws for hands because he doesn't drop. 
when he gets control of it, it's basically over. And that was as impressive as anything that with three guys on him, he goes to the ground and the ball never moved. Not only did he just retain control, but it never moved. And the, the guy's just phenomenal, uh, like you said, and, and certainly put together another however many years it's going to be. And his, his numbers are, are obviously going to be through the roof, <laughs> as a lot of the receivers are, that we consider on a yearly basis for the Hall of Fame. And Howard, this is a Hall of Fame-centric uh, podcast. Um, and I'm going to ask you, Howard, as a, uh, as a selector, um, and Isaac Bruce now has a bust in Canton. So, Howard, I'm going to ask you on a very personal basis, sh- tell our listeners what it's like for a selector, the gamut of emotions when you make a pitch and it, and it doesn't happen for the guy, and the year that your guy does go in, uh, how much does it mean uh, to to the selector, Howard? Well, I, I think you're the uh, <laughs> you're the guy that's experienced that uh, quite a bit. But it's it, it's tremendously gratifying. Obviously, you don't want to make it about yourself, but you're so glad for the guy who you believe is deserving. You're you're happy for his family, but the personal part of it is, quite frankly which you're hoping for one of these days with John Lynch is I don't have to do this presentation again uh, because you start to wonder what else do I have to do? What can I say? What, what is different? We all know that who gets in a lot of times is the result of a lot of other factors. And you don't make the top 15 unless you're deserving, but yeah, it's the gamut of emotions is tremendous. It's uh, you, you want it to work for the guy, and we all go through it, and especially when we have multiple guys. You know, last year I had to also present Tory Holt, and perhaps I'll be doing him again uh, this year in a couple of months. But like you said, it's very emotional. You get to know the guy a little bit differently and more than when he was playing, and you want, you, you want it for their family. And it's, it is a huge sigh of relief, though, when it happens, because like I said, you're so happy for the player and the family, but also that you don't have to do any more presentations about them. Howard, it's funny when you were recounting that last play of uh, last weekend's game and talking about what was greater, uh, avoiding the sack or making the catch, reminded me of Super Bowl 42. The same question was asked about Eli Manning. Remember, he should have been sacked, somehow avoided it, throws the ball up, and it's one of the greatest catches I've ever seen, the David Tyree catch uh, holding against his helmet. But anyway, the same sort of question came up there. Um, Since Ira was asking you, about DeAndre Hopkins. I've got a question for you. It's a little bit um, out there, but um, at the top of their game, at the top of their game, you have to take one wide receiver. Who are you going to take? DeAndre Hopkins or Larry Fitzgerald? (laughs) Wow. He goes, I cover the Cardinals. You're trying to get me in trouble here. (laughs) My goodness. Yeah. I mean, well, right now, it's DeAndre Hopkins. Oh, sure. But at the because, top of their game. But, oh, yeah, at the top of their game, man, that, that's, that's a tremendous question. I, that, that might, you know, you hate to take a cop out, which I did in my story about the catch in the pass and say it's, <laughs> it's a dead heat. But, man, I, I, I might go with Fitzgerald because, man, he, he, he obviously did it for so long. Yep. Um, but, but, but Hopkins, and, 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 and even there – 
even though we've seen this evolution of the passing game and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger every year, it's kind of weird to say that Larry Fitzgerald was a part of it when the passing game wasn't as, you know, crazy as it is now. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, he was, you know, he, he was able to do it, you know, and also a lot of times with not very good quarterbacks. Yes. And, and yeah, there was the years with Kurt Warner and then Carson Palmer, and they had some decent ones before that, you know, you know, Hopkins is talking about loving being with Kyler Murray, but of course, uh, he he didn't have some very good ones until Deshaun Watson uh, got there. But I, I might le- lean a little bit towards Fitzgerald. But boy, that's that that that's a that's a tough call. It's 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 definitely one and one a because they're both so so productive, so dynamic, and just never drop the ball and know how to get open. And they make it, I'm never going to say make it easy for their quarterback, but they sure make their job a lot, a lot less difficult. One other Hopkins question. Um, He's in his first year with the Cardinals. You're in your first year with the Cardinals. What did you learn or what have you learned about him that you didn't know before? Um, I, I guess just how, humble he is, um, how consistent he is in a lot of the zoom meetings, uh, zoom press conferences that there were throughout the off season. He was very eloquent in talking about the other issues around the sport, uh, with his experiences, uh, growing up in South Carolina and his, his knowledge of history and the, the people that he is, done a shout out for and recognized uh, that uh, have been discriminated against. And he, he has a lot of stories and a lot of wisdom to impart that certainly not being around him on a daily basis. I had no idea of. Howard, uh, do the Cardinals have enough Howard down the stretch, seven games left to win a tough division um, and is Kingsbury the guy to get them good, there? Good question, Howard. because I think, you know, Kingsbury is very dynamic, very creative. Uh, sometimes it seems maybe he gets a little too cute with things. But as we all observe all the time, if a play doesn't work, we say, well, why didn't you do that? I mean, there's been instances in the last two weeks we've all said, well, why didn't you run instead of pass? And then there's other times we said, why didn't you pass instead of run? And obviously play callers just just go with their gut. But I think he's learning on a weekly basis and he's becoming a better head coach. Certainly the players respect him and they, they all love the way that he interacts uh, with them. Do they have enough to win the division? Great question. We'll, we'll certainly learn uh, tomorrow night on Thursday night football. You know, can they sweep the Seahawks? That would obviously be a feather in their cap. And they still have two games against the Rams uh, left in the final five weeks of the season. So those games will probably uh, tell the tale, but I, I, I think they're going to be in the hunt. Certainly, I would think for the rest of the season, a lot could be the defense. They lost another leader on the defense in the game Sunday when nose tackle Corey Peters was lost for the year. Chandler Jones was lost earlier in the season, but at the end of the day, it's going to come down to that offense scoring enough points to win. They're certainly capable of it, but I think they have to be a little more consistent. Or it sounds like he's being non-committal again, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get any yes or no. 
<laughs> Throwing him this 100 mile an hour fastballs. He's uh, ducking out of the way. It's a dead heat. It's a dead heat. <laughs> dead heat. Dead heat. <laughs> That's right. Hey, one last Kyler Murray question that comes to my mind. He's, I don't know what he's, what, 5'9", five, 5'10", five, something like that. I just wonder how long his running around the field and running past everyone, how long that could sustain itself because I've seen track stars on the field at quarterback before. And I think of RG three and that was going to be Washington and RG three for 10 or 15 years until Haloti Nada ran him over. How long do you think that can sustain itself? Cause clearly, I mean, he's one of the most dynamic players on the field. It reminds me a lot of uh, the different kind of player, Michael Vick. Remember he was running like sure. a running back. And you couldn't take him in Steve young years before. Um, but are you concerned about a guy that size and his ability to weave through it? Because at some point, somebody's going to get him. Somebody's going to get him. You would think so. And, and that's the thing. Yes, there is that concern because, and that was the concern coming in. Can, uh, you know, can a guy do that? Now he plays very smart. His elusiveness. I, I can't, re- I can't remember. There hasn't been very many big hits, if any, this year that he sustained because he's so quick at avoiding him. He knows when to slide, he knows when to get out of bounds and guys can't catch him. But like you said, you have to believe somewhere along the line, someone's going to get him. Then again, you look at a guy like Russell Wilson and he doesn't run as much as he used to. And he wasn't as quick as Murray is, but he was also very smart too in protecting himself. And he stood the test of time uh, so far. So, the, the feeling is he probably can, but yeah, every time he runs, you hold your breath because like you said, all it will take is, is one hit and you could have a major injury. And you mentioned RG three that happened his first year in yep. a playoff game. And he was never the same after that. Yeah. It actually is not. I got him during the season. Remember he sat down then he comes back against Seattle and then he got hurt again. Oh, right, and that was, right. that was it. I mean, it was over. I've got one last question for you. Um, has nothing to do with the Cardinals, but has everything to do with the pro football hall of fame. As you know, we've had, a vote on the preliminary list with the semifinalists, the 25 semifinalists list coming out soon. And I, I would think it'd be next week just because we've had that in the past. Yeah. Um, so um, my question to you is this, we're going to have 25 semifinalists announced next week. There aren't going to be the coaches. So there should be a couple surprises in there. Do you have any that you're looking for or any that you anticipate as being a first time semifinalist? You went, Whoa. I mean, either didn't see that coming or yeah, it's about time. It's, that's a great question. And, and there is one guy that I think has been somewhat overlooked. And I know there was a little bit of a campaign to get information on him. And we all know how difficult it is for specialists uh, to not, not just to get elected, but even to make the semifinalist. And when you look at the career of Nick Lowry and kicking in Kansas city, a lot of times in bad weather, not on artificial turf. And you see what he accomplished. You say, wow. I mean, hey, he, he beat out Jan Stenerud in Kansas City. And, of course, Jan Stenerud ended up being a Hall of Famer. And then Nick kicked for something like, oh, I think it was 18 years or, or, or something like that. I don't know if he's going to make the semifinal. I believe this might be his last chance mm-hmm. uh, before he goes to the seniors class. And we all know what an abyss uh, that is. But – it's interesting, but obviously we know in a sense why he, he was overlooked. But, you know, I hope everybody, you know, looked, uh, you know, a bit at, at those numbers and, and at least get him, you know, this far. Because not to be in the top 25 all these years is, is somewhat, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, unbelievable. 
Howard, we uh, we very much appreciate your time. And finally, uh, Howard, uh, succinctly wrap up what what's life like in the Valley of the Sun, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell you the one thing I always joke about, and I lived in Vegas for a year and a half. I always said that the easiest job in the world is to be a weather person for the TV stations <laughs> because it, it never, you know, it hardly ever changes. You look at the 10 day forecast and it's like they, they, they put temperatures in a basket and they, Oh, let's pick it out. Let's pick one out. So this day it's 91 next day it's 93. Now it's getting a little cooler now. So now it's 81. Oh, let's say it's 82 that day. It never changes. I mean, it, it, it's just, it's just amazing, but it's, yeah, it's really, it's really a neat place. I, I haven't been here for the ridiculousness of 115, 120 degrees yet. So I might saying something different next July and August, but it's, it's really, really a neat place uh, to live. Never rains. It's funny. I talk to people and they say, hey, it rained today. I said, hold it. That, that word's not in my vocabulary anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's rain. I've been here for 10 weeks now and it's rained for five minutes. Wow. Uh, Howard, next July, you, you come to Tampa to cool off, Howard. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I will say this. And, and I, I lived in Vegas, and, and it is dry heat, but I don't think there's anything more uncomfortable than humidity. No matter what the temperature is, humidity is when it's really hot. Is just it just makes your skin crawl. Anyway, yeah, you don't had have that, that in St. Louis. You had that in St. Oh, Louis. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, but, absolutely. but Howard, I love it when you go to Phoenix. They always tell you it's a dry heat. I go. It's 115 outside. Yeah, my oven's a dry heat too. I can't stand it. Well, of course, you don't go outside then. That's the point. I mean, yeah. Yeah, you don't go outside. Well, we went outside today. Or we got Howard Balzern in. I'm glad we did. Howard, thanks so much for stopping by. And we'll see you, I, I would guess, by Zoom for the Hall of yeah. Fame Board of Selectors meeting in February. Looks looks like that's the way it's going to be, which will be a an interesting uh, you know an interesting day, none the, uh, no question about it. Well, thanks so much. Thanks. My I pleasure, guys. Take it. care. Thanks, and thanks for the by, by the way. Thanks for the shout out for uh, Lowry, Nick Lowry, Dartmouth College boy, Dartmouth College baby. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, Howard. All right. Thanks, Howard. Take care. Hey, I, I was really interested to hear him make a push for Lowry because I'll be honest with you, I did vote for him. I, I did, did too. I did too. I did too. Um, I, I, I want to hear a little discussion about the man. Yes, yeah, me too. And I do think he should be a semifinalist. I mean, people can say, well, he's not Hall of Fame worthy. Well, that doesn't mean he's getting into the Hall of Fame. It means simply we're trying to talk about him and we do need some new faces in that room. And I'd love to see him become a finalist. I almost guarantee he won't be, but I'd love to see him be a semifinalist just to get that on his resume. We, uh, we may need some new faces in that room uh, on a selector basis, too, uh, Clark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what that is, Ira. That's the signal for the latest installment of I Was There. And I was. There was Goucher College in Towson, Maryland, back in July 1983. And it's funny to hear Howard talk about uh, humidity. I don't know if you've been to the Baltimore, Washington area during July or August. It is brutal in there. And I remember going to sleep at night because I was living in Baltimore. And I had a, I didn't have an air conditioner. I had a fan on. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be sweating in my sheets. They were really good. Um, but anyway, I was back there in uh, 83 of um, uh, 
my second season covering the Baltimore Colts here before they left for Indianapolis. And I was covering training camp that summer. And Frank Cush, speaking of Arizona, former Arizona State coach, Frank Cush was in his second year of coaching the Colts that year. And as you know, he was a taskmaster. In his first year, they were 0-8-1, and that was the year I covered them. Well, this year, they're going to be rebuilding, and um, and they felt like they had a chance to do something. As it turns out, they were 7-9 that year. But that's beside the point. At that day in July, um, they were doing two-a-days. Remember those, Ira, when they had two-a-days? Oh, in yeah. Training camp? oh yeah. So the second uh, workout that afternoon, and it was about 4.30 at the day, Frank had wind sprints at the end of another horrendous practice. They were tough, they were full contact, and he had them do wind sprints. So they go length of the field. And the team goes the length of the field, and they had a wide receiver named Holden Smith, who was a 4.4 uh, 40 guy. I mean, he ran him 4.4 seconds. And fast guy, he was a Cal, uh, different guy. Uh, I remember one time they couldn't find him for, I think, a meeting at Cal, and it turns out he was off playing the flute in a tree. So that's what you're dealing with, a little bit different guy. <laughs> but um, so Holden didn't, he was, you know, fast guy, but he was lagging. And, and Kush goes, okay, we're doing another uh, wind sprint. And they go, well, why? He goes, Holden, you know, you're jogging. He goes, coach, I'm hurt. He was being treated for a thigh injury. And so they do another wind sprint, and Holden's one of the last guys through. He goes, we're doing it again. And I thought, what is going on here? And Matt Booza, who had played at Cal and was a friend of Holden Smith's and was on that team, said, hey, coach, he was also a wide receiver. He's hurt. He can't run. And he said, we're doing it again. So they ran again, and it, predictably, Holden was one of the last guys. He goes, okay, that's it. Holden? You're cut. Goodbye. Practice is over. Walks off the field. So we're all looking at each other going, what just happened? I mean, what, what happened? So we go up to the training camp headquarters. And as you know, Ira, as it used to be, at least, you, the coach met with the reporters afterwards. And someone invariably asked, what happened to Holden Smith? I'll never forget because Ernie Corsi, then the general manager, was sitting right next to me. What happened to Holden Smith? And he goes, he was terminated. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean he's gone he's cut based on what he didn't do the wind sprints he's gone and that was it so Holden Smith's gone bizarre story and then I hear a commotion upstairs I run upstairs and they're having their evening meal they're having the dinner and the team's there team meal coaches sit at a separate table and the players are in another area the coaches are sitting at that separate table but Holden Smith standing over Frank Cush and he's got a big container of root beer and he pours it slowly over his head, Gush's head. And he goes, guys, this is for you. And he's draining that root beer over Frank Cush's head and Cush sits there and his fingers are grabbing the table and he's got like white knuckles because he wants to get up and kill the guy. But he had a pending lawsuit, if you remember, against a uh, punter, I think named Rutledge at Arizona State. So he knew he couldn't do anything. And Gunther Cunningham, the late Gunther Cunningham, who was then the defensive line coach, jumps up grabs Holden Smith and leads him out there out of the, of the uh, training camp uh, dining room down the stairs. And people are going, you got to be kidding me. Frank Cush, he did that to Frank Cush. And the place is dead quiet. So I follow Holden down the stairs and so do a couple other reporters and he's waiting for Frank Cush. And he then proceeds to follow Frank when he's there around the camp back to his dorm room, screaming every four letter word at him, daring him and provoking him to hit him. He wanted him to hit him so there'd be a story, but it never happened. Frank wisely went into his room, locked the door, Holden walked out, they put him on a plane that evening, never seen again and never played in the league again.
You know, Clark, I bet you it took everything for the players not to applaud as that root beer was pouring over Cush's head. Yeah, no, that's right. You know, it's funny. I saw a quote a month later in the New York Times by Holden, and he said, I don't think he is talking about Frank Cush. I don't think he accepts all types of people and types of personalities. <laughs> that's a shock. I mean, to us in Baltimore, we went, no wonder John Elway didn't want to play here. It wasn't the city, although Elway said it was before. It wasn't the city, and it wasn't the team. It was Frank Cush. Anyway, Ira, that's going to do it. Final thoughts. All right, Clark, quickly. Um, the league is trying to decide what to do with the capacity for Raymond James Stadium in the Super Bowl February 7th. Yep. It looks, Clark, like they're going to have 20, 25 percent you know, 15 or 20,000 instead of 65. Well, Clark, the first thing I think about is what the heck is this going to do with the price of Super Bowl tickets, Clark? And last year, according to StubHub, leading into the Super Bowl game, the average ticket price, seven grand. The average? Last year, seven grand. And that's not face value. You know, this is the resale market. And, Clark, if they're only going to have 15,000 fans and suppose it's Mahomes and Brady and the game's in Tampa and Buck fans are dying to go and, and Chief fans travel, Clark, we're looking at 15 or 20 grand per ticket. Wow. Household might be able to show up for that game. You could afford that. I can't. There's no way. Hey, by the way, you mentioned Tampa. I'll tell you why Tampa's not going to be in, why the Bucs aren't going to be in. You know the history of teams in Super Bowls in their host stadium? Never happens. It never now, has happened. Now, wait a minute. Our producer says the Bucs aren't going to lose another game. And <laughs> it's got them running the table. Yeah. No, no one uh, has ever done what Tom Brady has done either. So, Well, the closest anyone came was the 49ers in 84. And people say, well, no, it's the San Francisco Super Bowl. They didn't play in Candlestick. They played at the Stanford Stadium. So that's why it's a little bit of an asterisk. But I look at that and go, yeah, if anyone could buck it, and I say buck it, yeah, if anyone could buck this trend, it'd be Tom Brady. Anyway, that's a bad, bad analogy. It's going to do it. If you want to reach Ira on Twitter, Ira, you can find yourself at? At iKaufman76. That's right. And uh, me at, at Clark Judge, T-O-F. And Ian, you want to get in touch with Ian? Ian, where you go? It's uh, at I-G-L-E-N-31. Simple. There you go. You have no excuses for not reaching us. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you next week. We'll be here. Hope you will be too. This has been the eye test for two on fullpressradio.com.